Today, we're continuing our series that we started um, just a couple of weeks back called One. And uh, if you were with us, you recall that we started with a foundational teaching on this significant idea that God is one. We'll recite the Shema in just a few moments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We started with this idea that God is one because um, everything finds its origin in God. And he is the designer. And what we get to see is the design that points us back to the one who designed it all. And um, I think I shared with you a, a couple of weeks back about Josh McDowell, what he, I learned from him a number of years ago about the uh, precept, principle, and person of God. And the way that goes is sometimes when we read scripture, we just see uh, a series of precepts. We just think God is a lawmaker or that God is uh, delighting in making commandments or issuing decrees. Um, God does provide precepts for us to follow because they're always good for us. Uh, but those precepts point us to a principle which finds its origin in the person of God. It goes something like this. When God says, do not lie, he knows that um, when we tell the truth, everybody gets helped. Um, if we lie to each other, could you imagine what society would be like? Um, my one daughter is a CPA, and so she does work in the accounting world. And in many ways, they serve as part of the backbone of making sure that those who are investing in businesses, etc., in the stock market, that the financial statements do reflect reality. Uh, so when we tell the truth, society is protected. We all operate from a sort of an equality uh, playing field to some degree. And so do not lie. The truth is good for all of us. And then we learn that God is truth, right? So God himself informs the precept, which points us to the principle, which finds its origin in who God is. And so these are important things for us to consider, and God's always inviting us. So that's why we started with one God. Um, and then last week, we talked about one church, um, where if we could just recognize that our differences are not weakness, our differences are complementary and opportunities for learning. And I just received a brilliant letter from a congregational member um, this morning, read it just before I came here to be with you. And it was like, oh, so good, so encouraging. And I was thinking to myself, this person absolutely 100% gets the kingdom. And uh, when we look across our differences um, by valuing the other who carries the difference, um, we demonstrate maturity and we posture ourselves with humility, with an aptitude for learning. Uh, we can learn from anyone. We can learn from everyone. And so the church is quite diverse. There are tens of thousands of denominational expressions worldwide. And, um, you know, God loves diversity, as we've talked about before. Like 10,000 different kinds of beetles. Remember we talked about that last week? Why, why, isn't one enough? Right? But God makes 10,000 different kinds of beetles. And there is 9,800 different kinds of birds. 30,000 that we know of, different kinds of fish that swim in the lakes and the oceans. Uh, God loves diversity. He doesn't just tolerate it. He designed it in his creation. And so we do well to celebrate diversity and look across all the different church expressions and say, aren't they so different from us and isn't that wonderful? Instead of saying, they're so different from us, aren't they bad and aren't they wrong? We can say, isn't that beautiful? that we just see in the diverse flavor of all that God has created, we see just a little glimpse of his character and his beauty. And so we talked about one God, we talked about one church, and today we're going to talk about harmony in relationships. Um, anybody here ever had a strained relationship with anyone? 
Apparently, that's par for the course. Um, so I can't imagine anybody sitting here today who would say, I don't have anything to learn about growing my capacity for pursuing harmony in relationships. And so um, it's not easy to attain. It's much easier to talk about. But harmony in relationships is something we ought to keep in front of us. Just like one God, one church, unity and harmony in relationships is a, an ideal we ought to pursue. So before we get to that, would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to recite uh, our passage to ponder, which finds its origin in who God is, the one true God of heaven and earth, as Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Would you share with me or speak with me this passage so your neighbor can hear you? Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of the Lord for us today. You may be seated. So I am so not a musician. Um, I took guitar lessons, I don't know, a few decades ago, and I quickly discovered I'd be better to take courses and learn at educational settings than to spend time trying to play an instrument. It just isn't consistent with my, um, my giftings. Uh, but I do know enough about harmony, as we all do here. Um, when we experience and we hear complementary voices singing, and we call it harmony, it's a beautiful thing to hear where these voices all come together and they just produce a beautiful sound that we all say, that was so good. We also know that when we hear competing voices that are not in harmony with each other, it can be painful to hear, right? And, and listen, if our relationships are out of step and if we are not in rhythm or the harmony is off, the pain in our relationships is equally real, right? And so um, whether you have a romantic relationship or don't have a romantic relationship, whether you have a large circle of people you would call friends or a small circle of people you would call friends, what matters more than anything is not the amount of friends you have, but the quality of those relationships. And so investing in the welfare of relational connection is very important. And um, so I've got three thoughts for you today. Um, as I typically do each Sunday. The first one is this. We're going to take a look at the Bible. If you're new to church or new to us, we look at the Bible every time we gather, and I think you would expect that in a Christian church. And so the passages will be on the screen. Um, and they're biblical principles that have their origin in the person of God. And so here's the first one. Relational union and oneness are beautiful. Relational union and oneness are beautiful, and they are God-sanctioned experiences. God smiles over beautiful relationships that are united and where there is a beautiful sense of healthy oneness about them. And um, as we looked at last week, and as I've already mentioned, God loves diversity and unity. Those are not competing ideas. I think it's important that we understand that. Uniformity is not what God is after. God is not looking for cookie-cutter humans, cookie-cutter Christians. He's looking for people who are 
reflections of his image and his character and the beauty and the expansive, um, the expansive description of who God is in Scripture is not to be limited to some small little circle that you and I can get our minds around. God is beyond our capacity to understand. I also believe that's one of the reasons why he's introduced to us in Scripture, this tri-unity aspect of who he is, because the human mind can't comprehend it. To think that God is one and to think that he is three persons is difficult, I would say impossible to get your mind around. Theologians have written volumes on this. And so we're left with this idea of, wow, that's inspiring. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's awesome. And wow, I don't understand how that works. Because the human brain is far too incapable of grasping the infinite, beautiful, expansive idea of who the one true God is. And so we have been given a glimpse. When we look out in nature and we go for our walks in the forest, we get another little glimpse. We open up scripture. God has given us enough. God has given us enough for this side of heaven. But we haven't been in his presence, in his uninterrupted presence yet, to see him in his um, complete beauty. One day, as we get past this glass that we look through dimly, sort of distorted in some way, we will be at home on the other side with God and things will make a whole lot more sense. For now, God's given us what he felt we needed for this part of our experience, life this side of heaven. But God loves diversity and unity, and these two ideas are not in conflict. So we see this in God's design for the marriage union, right? Um, God makes the man unique in his own image and in his own likeness, and then he makes the woman unique in his image and in his likeness. He makes the man and the woman for a complementary relationship. And we understand why this is so beautiful and complementary, is that they just fit so nicely together. And yet it is a very hard thing for a man and a woman to get along for a lifetime. Have you heard that said before? Solomon scratched his head one day and he said, I don't understand some things in life. I don't understand how a snake moves along the ground. I don't understand how a ship can travel across the, the high seas. How does it stay afloat? There were mysteries to Solomon. And he said, I don't know how a man and a woman can get along for a lifetime. How does that work? It's a big challenge because God made us different. Men and women are not the same. They're not uniform. They're different but they're beautiful and they come from the same source, the image of the one true God. So here's, um, Moses records these words for us in Genesis 2. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. All the creatures came by, right? The dogs, the cats, the zebras, the elephants. He prays them by Adam. He says, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, but I want something more. And God goes and he creates uh, the first woman. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, right? Plurality moving toward oneness. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So God creates this model for us where the first man is all alone and he says it's not good. He has an unbroken relationship with God, his creator, but God says, this is what he says, really, I'm not enough for you, Adam. I want to make somebody with skin on that you can relate with in the world. And then he says, you have a problem. It's not good that you're alone. I need somebody to come alongside you and rescue you. 
rescue you from your aloneness, from the absence of your community. And so that's what Adam and Eve are for each other. There is a sense of connection and belonging and community. And this is the design that the creator put in play. And then the natural working out of that design is that they would procreate, obviously, with God's help and cause there to be sons and daughters and the creative order would continue. And so in the creation uh, design, we see that um, God caused the first man, the first woman, to move towards oneness, to be united, and that was the plan. It's not just for marriage, it's for fam family and for friendship, for friendship and family connection. Um, when you are in a circle of friends and you are connected, and it's, it's almost like for our golf friends here today, when you hit with one of your irons and you hit the ball with, from the sweet spot, you don't even feel like you hit the ball, right? It just goes. And, but if you don't hit it on the right spot, you hit it off the heel or the toe, it's feel, sometimes it feels like you hit a rock. And uh, same with baseball, right? We need our Blue Jays to find the sweet spot with the bats. But when you, when you hit the ball off the end of the bat, it looks like it's going to go far, but it doesn't go very far. Or if you get jammed on the inside, sometimes the bat can break. But if you get it on the meaty part of the bat, it just takes right off. And that's not easy when someone's throwing a ball at 95 miles an hour. Looks easy for us watching on, on TV, but... Um, we're talking about the sweet spot today. When it comes to being in a relationship with somebody and there's connection. Um, I meet with people all the time and they have a hard time describing it, but really what's happened is there's disconnection. They're either disconnected to themselves, disconnected to other people, and connection is what we were made for. Connection with God and connection with others. And, um, and so friendship, unity, family relationships, all of it, including marriage unions, I love this chapter, and it's a brief one, Psalm 133. Listen to this. How wonderful and pleasant, and I know you can attest to this, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. Oh, yeah. When they're getting along, it's an amazing thing. The inverse is also true. It's like not pleasant. <laughs> it's not wonderful when there's division and there's fighting and there's conflict and there's arguing and it's just people are against each other. And we see that so much in our society, don't we? People are just against each other. And you say, why? Well, I don't know. They're just not like me. They don't see things the way I see things. So they're just, they're bad. They're wrong. And we push them over there. They're, they're in that group. And, and I, I just think Canadians can do better, don't you think? I really do think Canadians can do better. I think Christians should show the way when it comes to that. And you're hearing us beat that drum over the last number of weeks, and we're not going to stop beating it. One of my mentors from a distance a number of years ago said this, never stop teaching on a theme until the congregation gets it. So here's the way we'll do this. When we're ready to move off this topic, there'll be resounding amens from the congregation. They'll be like, yeah, preach it, pastor. And I'll say, okay. I'll say, you know what, guys? I think they got it now. We can go on. It's been 14 weeks. We can move on now. So shout me down on a Sunday morning and we'll change the topic. How's that sound? Okay, Karen, good. So how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, an affirmation of his calling as priest. It was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. And then he gives another illustration. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, Scripture says that you can count on a blessing to come there. 
Unity matters a lot. How we relate to the people around us is really, really important. I don't know why it came to me today during the worship uh, uh, part of our gathering with the songs to God that we were singing, but just this thought came to me is sometimes this false dichotomy between the vertical aspect of the way we approach our faith and the horizontal aspect by which we approach our faith. I understand why we talk about them and we sort of deem them somewhat separate, but they can never, ever be dislocated from each other. Scripture says that if we hate our brother or sister, we have missed the forest for the trees. We've lost sight of the God who is love. And so for us to to think about social or horizontal conversations today, right, when it comes to living in harmonious relationships, this has everything to do with our relationship with God. It has everything to do with it. It's not just part of it. It has everything to do with it. They're not separate. And so we need to see them as very, very integrated. Union, oneness, harmony, it's precious. It's precious and needs to be protected. And it's refreshing and is the result of God's absolute blessing. And so in Scripture, what do we learn? That relational union and oneness are beautiful, God-sanctioned experiences. That's where he wants to move us toward. So here's the challenge for today, though. Let's be honest, right? We're honest people at King Street Community Church. Relational conflict is real and is to be expected. It happens. Division, disunity, and divorce are experiences east of Eden. I say that one more time. Division, disunity, and divorce are experiences east of Eden. And so one of the biggest challenges with maintaining harmony in relationships uh, happens to be this, communication breakdowns. Communication breakdowns. When that happens, we have trouble uh, when it comes to maintaining harmony in relationships. Um, So we know this by the design. So let's go back to Genesis 3. Um, Sin entered the experience of the first man and the first woman. Um, Paradise lost is just about to be experienced. And so when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. I love how the Bible Project describes this. They say the word in Hebrew there for they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. You and I probably go immediately to human steps, footsteps. He says in the Hebrew there, it's a sound of wind blowing through the leaves of the trees. That's the best way to understand what the writer's trying to help us understand when they, the first man, the first woman, heard the sound of God coming for them. It was a sound of a beautiful wind in the trees blowing. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. This is probably the first time the the man ever hid before because God was probably coming looking for his friends on a regular basis, and he can't find them this time. So he says, where are you guys? He says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. It's kind of a strange conversation, right? He just says, where are you? And he says, now I'm hiding. I was afraid and uh, realized I didn't have any clothing on. Well, you never had any clothes on before, right? (laughs) And so God says, who told you that you were naked? You've had an awareness emerge. Something's happened for you. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, do you think God already knew that? He's providing an invitation for the first man, for the first woman to take responsibility for what they did. It's not like God saying, I wonder if. He knew. He wanted them to know and to know in a way that would produce 
appropriate responsibility taking. And so what happens there? He says, um, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, he goes a little, little ways, right? It was the woman. It was the woman. It's always the woman's fault, right? <laughs> it was the woman, and he doesn't stop there, that you, it was the woman you gave me. She was supposed to be a blessing, right? <laughs> she gave me the fruit, and I ate it, right? You hear that? Just it's the woman, and you're part of this. Oh, yeah, I did eat. I did eat it, yeah. <laughs> then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. <laughs> Not my fault. The serpent. If you hadn't put the serpent there, right? That's why I ate it. Do you see this sort of like sort of responsibility taking? There's something incredibly liberating in the words of Jesus you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's like they know enough truth to kind of acknowledge it, but they haven't said, yeah, it's on me. I did it. My fault. And, and that has been played out century after century after century, and it plays out in your life, and it plays out in my life, because we as humans love to rationalize, love to provide excuses for ourselves, love to put things in context. And, and sort of avoid that, yeah, it was me. It's on me. I apologize. I take responsibility for that. There's something beautiful about humans who take responsibility. Appropriate, by the way, responsibility. And we'll talk about how it's important that we don't apologize for things that are not ours. This was theirs. There are some of us in this room today, we apologize for things that we should not be apologizing for. But I just always feel like I'm the one. I always feel like I'm bad. I always feel like I did it. I, I have to just... It's actually not healthy for us to own things that are not ours to own. It gets in the way of our authentic self. We'll, we'll touch on that in just a few moments. So when we experience disunity in verbal sparring, that happens, two questions should be asked of ourselves. What am I afraid of? And what am I ashamed of? What am I afraid of and what am I ashamed of? It helps us step back, play the role of the observer as we observe ourselves, and, and hopefully gain some more insight into what's prompting or motivating some of the relational disharmony that we're participating in. Um, another important principle is this. This can happen when it comes to disharmony and disunity. There can be values discrepancies and kingdom collisions. Let me explain this. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul takes great strides to talk about the importance of the marriage relationship. Then he talks about the importance of the parent-child relationship. Then he goes on to talk about what we would consider in today's world, the employer-employee relationship and how we conduct ourselves in all three of those settings. And he gives some really helpful principles and some instructions. Then all of a sudden, in the next breath, in, in chapter 6, beginning, I think, in verse 5, um, no, it's actually in verse, it is in verse 5, but in verse 10 is where I'll direct your attention today. Paul's talking about human relationships. Then he talks about spiritual conflict those two things are closely associated. We don't think about them much, but they're so closely associated. So in the context of the husband-wife relationship, the parent-child relationship, and the employer-employee relationship, here's what Paul says. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents your boss, your employees. 
they are not the ultimate challenge for you. There are other challenges at work in the unseen world. But against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What's going on in our human relationships is natural. There is a natural dimension to it. But there is also an unseen dimension to the things that influence us. We do a disservice to ourselves and to our relationships when we see them as either one or the other without seeing them both and. Our human relationships are human relationships and we should develop skills and capacities and aptitudes to be a healthy relational person. We invest in our marriages, we take parenting courses, we try to grow our emotional intelligence, we go see counselors and pastors, we read books and podcasts. We wanna get better, we wanna sharpen the saw, so to speak. That's important. And at the same time, we have one eye on the fact that there's more going on in a spiritually charged world. There's the natural, and there is the spiritual. And there is an overlap. Heaven does overlap with the earth. Can we say it that way? And so we're not on the lookout for a demon under every rock. Please don't do that. That can be problematic. I would invite you not to rebuke your spouse and say, get behind me, Satan, too frequently. That will be problematic. Um, I often think that when we become discerning that there might be more going on, I've had this happen in my world before. I have that happen in church leadership sometimes. Believe it or not, there can be dark forces at work in the church. Do you believe that? There have been moments in my life, seasons in fact, where it's been like, no, 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 no. This, there's way, way, way more going on here. And I don't announce that. I don't announce it from here. I don't announce it in other smaller circles even for that matter. But what I do is I begin to pray into it differently. I begin to approach the situation with a different set of resources that I tap into. And I think that's important when you recognize you're up against something in your family system. You're up against something that might be generational. You're up against something that's bigger than you and there's spiritual forces at work that you begin to be a little more deliberate and intentional about engaging that front. And how do we do that? through prayer. We pray differently. And we become a little more, with the help of the Spirit, discerning about what's going on. Uh, there's this beautiful picture in the Older Testament. It's Exodus chapter, oh boy, 18, I want to say, where Joshua and um, Moses at the top of the hill, and Joshua's down in the valley. And, and Joshua's engaging the Amalekites on the battlefield. And Moses is up with his hands raised. And when Moses has his hands raised, which is a, a picture of prayer, right? Calling on the one true God. The battle is tilted in the favor of the Israelites. But when his hands are dropping, the battle tilts in the other direction. And so it's a picture for us, again, of how we need to remember that there's a natural component, there's a spiritual component. Embrace and engage both, but do it somewhat differently. And I think it will serve us well in our relationships. Can I get an amen on that one? Why am I asking for amens lately? I don't know. I never, I, first 15 years of pastoring, I never did. And I must be insecure or something, looking for your approval. But, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So that's important that we understand that there can be values, discrepancies, and kingdom collisions. So that kingdom collision that we just saw shows up when it comes to the kingdom of 
our Lord and Christ and the kingdom of this world, they can be on a collision course. And then there can also be values discrepancies. And those values discrepancies, by the way, can happen with um, Christian people and leaders, actually. So let, let, me, let me direct your attention to Paul and Barnabas and a man named John Mark. These three Christian leaders, there was a dispute between Paul and Barnabas about John Mark. They saw it very differently. Let me read this. Acts chapter 15. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. They really cared about what was going on there. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Interesting. These are two godly men serving in the apostolic community, first century Christians, loving God, from what we can tell in scripture, mature people had a sharp disagreement and they separated. How does that work? I'll tell you how it works. We're not in heaven yet. We are not experiencing some sort of spiritual utopia. Um, I remember uh, at some point, I forget, somebody said to my wife, it must be so amazing to be married to Pastor Dave. It's <laughs> like, well, I, I said, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, of course it is. It's, it's as close to heaven as you can get, right? Can we be honest here for a second? Pastor Dave's a good man. Pastor Dave still has a sinful nature. He still has blood racing through his veins. He still has moments when he's not at his best. I know you find that very hard to believe, but that is the truth. <laughs> These early Christian leaders, they had a sharp disagreement. And they just said, you know what? We can't resolve this. I'm going to go that way. You go that way. Let's just call this, uh, we'll take a break for now. And they did. And it has a bit of a happily ever after ending later in the story where you know, they realized that John Mark actually offered more value and there was a reception and they kind of moved forward together. But two different people can agree to disagree and in fact, separate. This is Christian leaders doing this. This is what's at play here. And so um, what can happen in our lives is division, disunity, and divorce can be part of our experience. Um, when we experience division, we do our best to address it. And we'll look at some practical things in just a moment. Um, when we experience disunity, we do the same. We look in ourselves first and say, what am I doing to contribute to this? There are Christian people who get divorced. And uh, as you've heard me say many, many, many times at King Street, and I will continue to say it, there is life after divorce. There is the ideal of scripture that God calls us to pursue. And then there is the real. And unfortunately, sometimes the way life goes, for lots of complicated reasons. When I was younger, I saw things much simpler. As I'm getting older, I recognize that there are many, 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 many complicated nuances that go with life and relationships. And what I've also learned is that when I don't have a front row seat and I'm actually not a part of the experience, any vantage point I have will be somewhat distorted. And so this is why Jesus says to us, do not judge. Because when we look from the outside and we say, well, but how come that shouldn't? Until you've walked a mile in someone's moccasins, 
Never, ever assume that you know exactly what it was like to be in those moccasins. And so we don't look at judgment. We don't look with judgment at one another. We look with grace-filled eyes and say, thanks be to God that there's enough grace for that person. And there's enough grace for that person. And thanks be to God there's enough grace for me. Right? So, one last thought for us today. Here it is. Finding harmony and choosing shalom. Do you remember that series, Choosing Shalom? Finding harmony. Okay, here it is, and I'll be done in five minutes. Keep the goal of peace and harmony realistically before you. That's very, very important. We do elevate the ideal. We do elevate that it's not good that man be alone. Make a suitable helper for this reason. Man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let man not separate. We'll elevate that. High view of marriage at King Street, 100%. 100%. We'll preach, teach unity all day long. We'll preach, teach uh, a marriage covenant for a lifetime all day long. We will do that because that's God's design. But what I love about God is God makes, and you find it all the way through Scripture, God makes accommodations and allowances for people. He will make accommodation. He, listen, Jesus provides an accommodation in Matthew 19. And then Paul turns around in 1 Corinthians 7 and makes another one. Accommodations. God understands. Even Jesus said this. Well, the religious leader said, how come uh, Moses gave you the permission to issue a certificate of divorce? And what did Jesus say? Moses gave you that accommodation because your hearts were hard. God understands that human hearts can be hard, and so he makes allowances and accommodations. I think when we step outside of that realm of accommodations and allowances and we get really rigid, you know what happens to us? we begin to reflect much more the religious leaders of Jesus' day than Jesus himself. Because Jesus had every right, based on the law, to stone the woman in John chapter 8 who was caught in the act of adultery. And what did he do? He made an accommodation. He let her go. We should be people who resemble Jesus and let people go. Drop the stones and let them go. Throwing rocks was not Jesus' way, and throwing rocks is not consistent with what it means to be people of the kingdom of God. So keep the goal of peace and harmony realistically before you. Recognize life happens. And here's the scriptural mandate for that one Romans 12 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. Sometimes it is not possible. Have you ever had a relationship with somebody that broke down and you couldn't build it back again? Didn't matter what you did, you were never going to repair it. Jesus himself couldn't repair it because the person's been granted free will and they don't want anything to do with you. Right? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's the posture of the Jesus-following heart. But not everybody wants to reconnect with us. Not everybody wants to experience that kind of peace. So I'm going to give you two acronyms today, and this will be the take-homes for you. If we want to get better at pursuing harmonious relationships with others, um, I want to encourage you to move fast. F-A-S-T. And here's what they are. Pursue these four things. Pursue fairness. 
in relationships. Ask yourself the question, what is fair here? What is not just necessarily, but what is reasonably fair? And then apologize? Yeah, 100%. When we're wrong, when you and I are offside, acknowledge we're offside. When we've done something that's ours, say that's mine. But there are, as I mentioned earlier, there are people, and you'd be surprised how many of them are actually out here and maybe in this room today. You feel inclined that if anything is ever wrong in a relationship, it is your fault. It may not be your fault to the degree to which you think it is. Sometimes it could be 80, 20, 70, 30, 60, 40, 90, 10, I don't know. But at the end of the day, don't own the 90 when the 10 is yours. Because there will be an incongruency that will form in you, and there will be a disequilibrium, if we could call it, within the power dynamic of the relationship. If you own things all the time that are not yours, you will be saying to the other person, you can do no wrong. And that becomes an environment where all sorts of stuff can go wrong in a relationship. So own what's yours, but don't own what's not yours. And that's more art than science. And uh, there are well-meaning, kind, nice Christians who sometimes say sorry too often. So if it's yours, own it. If it's not, own what is yours, whatever percentage is there. Uh, thirdly, the S, stick to values. Stick to your values. In relationships, don't bend on the things you can't bend on. Boundaries matter. Value clarification matters. Be clear on your values. Because if you compromise them, again, there'll be an incongruency that will form in you, and you will lose part of who you are. Stick to your values. And then the last one is tell the truth. Be people of the truth. And the truth isn't just the facts. The truth is tell people how you feel, what you're thinking, when it's helpful, right? There's ways to do this, but tell the truth. And uh, we want to tell the truth, and we want to tell our truth. Both of them are very, very important. And the last one is um, something that I share with people often because it really, really helps. It's the GIVE acronym, G-I-V-E, and it goes like this. If you want to really communicate well with people to pursue harmony, start with gentleness. Be gentle in your communication. Harsh startups don't help us with harmonious relationships. Have you ever met somebody before where it's nice to meet you and it's just like they're right at you with it's like harsh startups, put you on your back foot. Gentle startups help people open up and say, oh, this is a safe person. So be gentle. I be interested. If you want to have a lot of friends in this world, ask lots of questions about other people. One thing I know about people, they love to talk about themselves. Um, often when people come and see me, I immediately just get really interested in them. And they just open right up because they mostly, want to talk about themselves. So be interested in people. And then V is validate. Validate and affirm other people. Everybody in this room today wants to be validated. And in fact, when we don't feel validated, we feel rejected, we feel uh, scrutinized, criticized in some way. And so just validate people. If somebody feels something, just that must be terrible to feel like that. That must be really hard for you. I can only imagine that that would be really difficult to process. And someone just starts feeling like, oh, somebody understands me. I'm safe and at home with this person. It's a wonderful way to pursue harmonious relationships. When you think about the people across the political aisle, by the way, and I think we should do more of this, think about how other people are voting in the election differently than you. The election's coming whenever that will be. People will, will see a political situation or a social problem or challenge differently than you. Ask yourself the question, I wonder what it's like for them to think passionately about that issue from their perspective. 
Instead of saying, how raw, I can't imagine. They call themselves a Christian. You can see Jesus in all three of those political parties, by the way. There's more than three. How many do we have? Four in Canada? Five now, I think. You can see Jesus in all five of them. And you can see how Jesus might be grieved in all five of them. There's no Christian party. So can I be clear in here today that I know that all the parties are represented in this church. I can guarantee it. And that those who vote outside of your framework, they're not wrong. It's just different. They see it different. I am, I am in uncharted waters right now because I know that there's people, especially in the world we're living in right now, where algorithms are targeting every one of us. You are only seeing news stories that play to your preference. And so you're saying, how come the people, don't they see this? No, they don't see it because they're not getting that news feed. They're not seeing the stories unless they're going deliberately looking for them. They're not getting them. So there is, just to be crystal clear, no Christian party in Canada. Okay. This is way more pronounced in the U.S., but it's coming here. It's coming here, and it's not good. We need to recognize we are all Canadians. Pastor Gary's going to preach on this next week, so I should probably stay out of this too much, but... We're, we're, we're all Canadians. At the end of the day, different governments. Our hope is not in our government, right? Whether you voted for Doug Ford or not, irrelevant. Whether you voted for Justin Trudeau or not, irrelevant. They are not our hope. They're going to get some things right. They're going to get some things wrong. At the end of the day, who is our hope? Jesus, 100%. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is our hope. Now, don't go to the ballot box blinded and say, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. <laughs> Do your homework and vote responsibly, right? Keep your head in the game and think about the issues. Really matters. We're not having an election unless we're going to have one soon, and this is prophetic. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the, last, the last letter here, E, is have an easy uh, disposition when you communicate with people. Um, Make room for others. Just have an easy way about you. Accommodative. Um, it'll, it'll, serve, it'll serve your relationships well. Okay, there it is, everybody. We are done for today. And our harmonious relationships, our harmony in relationships, we want to pursue it. And I hope there are some handles there to grab onto along the way. And um, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Won't always go that way, but we, we want to lean in. We want to lean in for that. We want to be people who are reaching across divides all the time. It's what we do. Just think, every time you reach across the divide, you're doing what God does. There was a divide between us and God. And what, what happened? Who did the reaching? God himself in Christ did the reaching. He reached for us. We were alienated from God. And he reached to us when we were lost and, and in many ways living in hostility toward him. He did the reach. And so we ought to be, if we're Jesus-following people, be the ones making reaches all the time. It starts in our thinking, translates into words and actions, and then all of a sudden we become this broader, wider person with a greater capacity to love other people. And it's a wonderful test on our capacity when people are different than us if we can love them well. And uh, this is what I love about the church. The church is an experiment in many ways, God's experiment 
on how we can, from across generations and ethnicities and all sorts of different socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, come together and love each other well. And so the degree to which the kingdom of God is advancing should be reflected in the unity and harmony that's experienced in the church. And I thank God for the measure of harmony that is here now. And it's a good thing. So uh, can I pray for you? And then we'll just have a couple of announcements and then we'll, we'll let you go. Uh, God, thank you again today for, your, for your, um, your love for us. We are all your children. And we thank you that you care for each of us um, the same. You love us all equally. And um, Lord, it doesn't matter if we participate in things that displease your heart, you still love us. And it doesn't matter if we do all sorts of service in your kingdom. You don't love us anymore. You just love us, period, unconditionally. And we can rest securely in that truth today. So, Lord, thank you that you love me, you love my neighbor, and you love our enemies. Help us to love them the way you do. And, um, God, we do realize, as we've talked about already, that some relationships are complicated and hard, and things don't always land or end the way we wanted them to. But we thank you that your grace and your mercy is enough for us, that you're always working plan B, C, D, and E, all the way through the alphabet, because you are never caught off guard. You are never flat-footed. You are always present, always engaging, always redeeming. You are always restoring. You are always working a good and beautiful plan for our lives. And Lord, for the one who's here today who's in a relational setback, for the one who's here today right now wondering what they did wrong, Lord, for what's happening to them, I pray, Lord, that you would come alongside them and strengthen them, May the peace of Jesus, the shalom of God, come over their lives. May there be a spiritual confidence that emerges inside of them that moves them forward, believing and trusting that you are with them. And Lord, where there's responsibility that we should take, would you help us to take it? Say sorry, make amends, do repair work. Whatever is required of us, God, help us to do our part. And most importantly, because all of this is so nuanced and complicated, Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us and direct us, cause our relationships to flourish? And Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear where there's growth required in us, where there's change of behavior required in us. Whatever that looks like, God, would you come and lead us, guide us, direct us, and may it always be for your glory and honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.